On behalf of Copeland Financial Ministries, I would like to welcome you to the Advanced Biblically-Based Estate Planning Workshop Series. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom is a chartered professional accountant and the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries. Tom's Financial Moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. For more information, check out copelandfinancialministries.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Bible Finance. Now, here's Tom teaching what the Bible says on estate planning. I'd like to welcome you to Session 3 of the Advanced Biblically-Based Estate Planning Workshop Series. This session is titled Estate Tax Implications and Tax Planning. Uh, by the way, all the advice I'm giving today is based upon Canadian tax law. As of September 2019, tax laws can change, although this area has not changed a lot in the last 30 years, but it could change. And it is based upon Canadian tax law. So if you're outside Canada, this may not be applicable for you. And I'd also say, based on the advice I'm giving, everyone, uh, before you actually do anything specific, this is a general understanding, so you've got a general understanding of the rules. Get some professional tax advice before you make any major important decisions because, again, the tax laws could change. Okay, first of all, most people are not aware that there's often significant tax implications when someone dies. God wants us to operate from a position of knowledge and understanding. I think of Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, which says, By wisdom a house is built. Through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You need to have wisdom and knowledge. Um, in Canadian law, when the first spouse dies, if everything goes to the surviving spouse under the will, then generally speaking, there's a tax-free rollover. Uh, the R RSP, or the Retirement Savings Plan, or the RIF can be transferred tax-free, no problem. But it's when the second spouse dies that there can be very significant Canadian tax implications, very significant. The full amount of the uh, Retirement Savings Plan or the Retirement Income Fund is taxed in the terminal return. And frankly, the tax rate, actually based on current law, can be as high as, as, high as 53.5%. So it's something you, you need to take, take note of. Also, when someone dies, with respect to other types of assets, under G G Canadian law, there's generally a deemed disposition at fair market value and as of the date of death of the second spouse. So things, uh, capital gains can be triggered in, in the, the terminal return. Things like um, if, if your, your parents, let's say your, your, your dad died and then your mom died and the second spouse died and it's about to go to you and your siblings, um, the terminal return of the last to die between a couple can have very significant tax implications. For example, with respect to, let's say, stocks or mutual funds, if they've increased in value, there, there can actually be a deemed capital gain even though those investments have not been sold yet. Um, also with rental properties, the same thing, there can be a deemed capital gain. However, with a personal residence, there is some exemptions. There's something in Canada called the principal residence exemption. And let's say um, your mom and dad have passed away and it's about to go to the site next generation. The, uh, what happens is, is, as long as that home was used solely as their own personal principal residence and they didn't claim the principal residence exemption on any other property, such as a cottage, then in effect, um, there should be no taxes, but that um, it does have to be reported in the terminal return. There should be no taxes. But on the other hand, if they did have a cottage where they did claim um, the personal principal residence exemption on that cottage for a number of years, then they're not going to get the full resi principal residence exemption on, on their, their main home. So you've got to watch for that. In order to avoid probate fees, some parents will transfer the ownership of their home into joint names with one of their adult kids. Um, and that can avoid probate, which is about one and a half percent. 
However, that can also create some tax issues. For example, let's say your adult child owns their own personal principal residence, and then after mom and dad have both died and the house is sold, that child could have a, a tax issue. That adult child is not going to be able to claim the principal residence exemption on both their home that they own, perhaps with their spouse, plus also their interest in mom and dad's uh, home. So there's going to create a conflict uh, of interest there in a sense, and it's going to create some tax issues. Generally speaking, it's best for mom and dad to uh, own, have the sole ownership of the personal principal residence up until the day they die. That's the ideal so they can get the principal residence exemption. Here I'm assuming that their adult children have their own homes. Now if, one, if they don't, then it's okay to put it in, in joint names, but I'm assuming that, that they do in this case. And by the way, capital gains in Canada right now, the top rate on a capital gain is about 27%. So that's a lot higher than the probate fees of 1.5%, which is the uh, rate currently in Ontario. Joint bank accounts with adult children is common and it's often helpful if mom and dad become unable to manage their affairs. Generally this is okay, but there's a risk that Canada Revenue Agency could argue that a portion of the investment income gets taxed to the adult child. However, I'd say this, if you make sure that the social insurance number is on the T-slips, then usually CRA would not assess the adult, the adult child, but just understand there's a risk there. I would say this, if mom and dad have significant assets at the personal level that they uh, want to put in joint names, um, you're probably best to go to a lawyer and get a bare trustee agreement drawn up so you have something to substantiate your position. Because generally speaking, the adult child wants mom and dad to be taxed fully on the income. They don't want to have to report any of that income because typically the adult child is working full time and has a, a reasonable income already. And typically mom and dad's income is usually uh, low because presumably they're in retirement. Okay, I'd like to uh, deal with a case study. Um, Understand that, of course, as usual, the names have been pulled out of a hat, selected at random, but the facts that I present um, are very common. So here's the first uh, case study. Mr. and Mrs. Baker have owned their own home in Toronto jointly for 30 years, and for 10 of those 30 years, they owned a cottage. When they sold their cottage several years ago, they did not report a capital gain on their personal returns, taking the position that it was their principal residence. Reason the cottage had increased significantly in value. Now, we're finding that this is quite common. Um, sometimes the cottage does go up more in value than, than the home in, in uh, let's say, the greater Toronto area, if that's where you happen to live. So um, claiming the principal residence exemption on their cottage is actually allowed under current law, but it means that when Mr. and Mrs. Baker sell the Toronto home, they will only be able to claim the principal residence exemption on a portion. It's going to be like about 20 years out of 30 years because for 10 years they claimed it on their cottage. And so about one-third of the gain on the sale of the cottage or the deemed sale on, um, on disposition if, if after the second spouse dies, about one-third of that is going to be taxed. Um, now technically that's going to be, one-third will be a capital gain and technically under Canadian tax law right now 50% is taxable. Tax implications on death for other assets. Um, RSP, which is also um, known as, of course, your retirement savings plan, or your RIF, which is the retirement income fund, the fair market value of these assets is fully taxed in the terminal tax return of the deceased. So significant taxes can arise, and this is where a lot of big surprises uh, come to fruition. I remember a case a number of years ago with a, with a lady where her dad had died and then her mom died and it was a big tax bill as a result of the funds in the retirement income fund and she thought it was ridiculous. She appealed to her politician, her MP. She did all kinds of appeals to CRA, but it, it's the law. It gets taxed fully in the, the, the terminal return of the deceased and sometimes the tax rate can be as high as 53.5% under current law.
So from a tax planning perspective, it can make a lot of sense to allocate a portion of your RSP or your retirement income fund to the Lord's work and save significant taxes. And of course, as you allocate to the Lord's work, you're going to build up treasures in heaven, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 21. Well, let's just look at that scripture for a minute. Jesus said, Do not build up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But build up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so there, there is uh, eternal benefits to allocating a portion of your estate to the Lord's work. Okay, I want to talk about some estate tax planning ideas. Again, this is based on Canadian law, September 2019. Um, Jesus, as we know, said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, Matthew 22, 21. Tax planning within biblical guidelines is good stewardship. And um, I'm talking about legal tax planning and there's, there is a number of uh, legal ways to minimize tax. Uh, for the taxes arising on your estate, but generally speaking, it has to be done in advance, actually often well in advance. So um, it's best to do it while you're, while you're in good health. So here's some tax planning ideas for, for estate tax planning ideas. First of all, if you have a disabled child, you can transfer up to $200,000 from your RSP or your RAF into a registered disability savings plan. That can be done tax-free. I mean, that's a savings that can be typically over $100,000. Uh, secondly, you can name one of the beneficiaries of your RSP or your RAF to be a Canadian charity, and your executor can claim the donation receipt to reduce tax on the terminal return. Thirdly, you can consider a charitable gift annuity. Prior to death, uh, an individual can make a contribution to a charitable gift annuity and receive an income stream for life and designate any residual to a registered charity. Uh, typically, if you make a donation, uh, if you make a contribution to a charitable gift annuity, let's say it's $100,000, you'll get a donation receipt for about 20 to 25% of the amount contributed. And it's a good practical way to provide an annuity for yourself. And also, if there's a residual and you've done it with a registered charity, generally speaking, the residual, you can um, tell the charity to allocate that residual to the Lord's work. We'll talk more later. Um, if you do it with an insurance company, often if there's a residual, if there's something left over, they just keep the, keep the residual as a profit. So doing it as a charitable gift annuity uh, with a registered charity is, is a good idea. And of course, in Canada, to make it work, it has to be a registered Canadian charity. Uh, number four, receipt of death benefits from an insurance policy are generally tax-free um, whenever the beneficiary is the estate or the surviving spouse. So, uh, but double check with your insurance company because there's all kinds of different uh, types of insurance policies out there. And donations made pursuant to your will. I always encourage Christians to, uh, when you do your will, to consider allocating a portion to the Lord's work. The guideline is 10%, but you may want to go higher if the Lord directs. But always consider giving a portion to the Lord's work, to the Lord's work for, um, for eternal purposes, um, for biblical reasons. But also, there's good um, benefits from a tax perspective because if you make a donation pursuant to your will, as long as it's um, paid to the registered charities within 36 months, um, that donation tax credit can be taken in the terminal return and save a lot of tax. Number six, if you own shares of a private corporation, consider an estate freeze in favor of your heirs to minimize the tax burden upon death. It can make a lot of sense, but of course mom and dad don't want to do an estate freeze until they have enough for their retirement, but this is something, assuming they do have enough for their retirement, this is something that can be done with a private corporation, especially if you plan to pass it on to a son or a daughter and you want them to continue the business. 
Number seven, for individuals who have investment assets outside their RSP or their RIF in excess of $1 million, they should consider the use of a holding company. I, I only use that guideline of $1 million because it costs quite a bit in legal and accounting fees. Maximize the contributions to your tax-free savings account because there's no deemed capital gain upon death in respect of the assets in a tax-free savings account, so maximize those contributions. And number nine, if mom and dad start becoming incapable of managing their affairs as a minimum, Ensure that an, a responsible adult child has power of attorney to manage their assets, pay their bills, and of course, uh, power of attorney over health care in case they have to go to the hospital and they become incognitive. Someone may need to make some health care decisions on their behalf or may need to um, be able to make sure their bills get paid. So having, um, having the power of attorneys in place makes a lot of sense. I would say something else. Um, some may think this is un unusual, but I've seen this so many times in the last... Uh, 40 years, uh, if there's a gold digger, if you sense there's a gold digger that's after your parents' money or even after your money, um, and if your parent is, if at least one parent is at least 65 years of age, then consider transferring their assets into what's called an alter ego trust. This is a Canadian um, tax uh, vehicle where you, where you, you want to have a sufficient uh, number of responsible adult children appointed as trustees, normally along with the parents as well. And uh, this can provide protection against a gold digger getting your parents' money. I've seen over the years a number of cases where typically it's a younger woman going after an older man, but it can be the other way. It can be a younger man going after an older woman, or it can even, they can even be the same age. Uh, but if you sense there's someone that's come, let's say your, your dad has died and your mom's still alive, and there's somebody that's uh, befriending your mom and you're a little suspicious of their, of their motives, um, you could consider uh, an alter ego trust to transfer their assets into the alter ego trust in order to protect those assets. Um, one of the reasons is because if your mom and dad have not been assessed as being incapable of managing their affairs by a doctor, at least this is under Ontario law at, at present, then um, if, if the gold digger comes along and gets them to sign a new will or a new power of attorney, um, I've seen cases where the, the gold digger gets the money and, and the kids, uh, um, mom and dad's kids end up getting nothing. So you need to... Uh, uh, just take that in mind and if this arises be sure to get some legal advice because again the laws can change and obviously you're going to need legal advice to set up an alter ego trust. I would say this most uh, assets can be transferred into an alter ego trust except for the uh, retirement income fund or the, or the um, RSP and the reason for that if you want to transfer that in it's going to be immediately taxed and you're probably going to have a big tax bill so generally you don't want to do that. An alter ego trust does have the benefit of avoiding probate fees uh, when your mom and dad dies, so that's a savings. And uh, if your parents, uh, again, if they have a significant estate, you, you need to get some professional legal and tax advice because, of course, uh, this is just a high-level overview I'm giving you. Uh, but these, these rules could change, and you probably need some specific advice because people's situation can be quite different. Okay, um, transferring assets to a child with unrealized gains. Uh, this is... Um, something that's so, so important. Uh, sometimes parents will uh, decide to transfer uh, assets to a child. It could be stocks that have gone up in value or rental real estate or whatever. Uh, and they've got unrealized capital gains. They've gone up significantly in value since uh, they were originally purchased. And uh, the transfer um, to the next generation, even when mom and dad are alive, can, will trigger capital gains under section, one, under section 69 of the Income Tax Act. And so you need to be really careful of that. I think of a case, uh, if you remember back in uh, 2000 to 2002, we had the tech bubble. I think of a case where um, a situation, they, they weren't my client, of course, but uh, I found out about it later where mom and dad transfers some shares of appreciated stock 
in uh, Nortel. Um, that triggered a capital gain, which they didn't realize. And then eventually when the stock was sold by the Sun, the value was much, much less and there wasn't even enough mon money there to pay for the tax bill. So um, do not uh, do a transfer of any asset with an unrealized capital gain without getting some professional tax advice for sure. Because uh, the tax on the capital gain under current law can be as high as 27%. Now I'd like to talk about some uh, risks for an executor. Um, let me think of a, a real-life case study. This, I've seen this so many times, but a, f a number of years ago, um, a fellow, um, uh, his, his dad had died, and then later his mom died, and there was a significant amount of money. It was not a huge amount, but there was an amount of money and available in the estate, and he had two siblings, and so he thought, we're each entitled to one-third, so he basically liquidated the assets, and he allocated one-third to each of his uh, other two siblings and a third to himself. He didn't realize that there's big tax implications when somebody dies, especially if there's an RIF or, or an RSP. And uh, later when he went and had the um, terminal return filed by an accountant, the accountant told him the following April that there was a big tax liability and that um, he's personally liable for it. And uh, so he had to go back to his other two siblings and get, uh, try to get the money back. In one case he got the money their share of the tax bill, but in the other case he didn't. The other sibling was a bad money manager. They had already spent the money, and he is the executor under the Income Tax Act is personally liable for it, and he got stung. He got stung for quite a bit of money. So if you're appointed as the executor of the estate, do not distribute any assets of the estate until you get some professional tax advice to make sure that uh, enough is withheld to cover the taxes, and of course enough is withheld to cover any liabilities, because often you don't know what all the liabilities are initially. I'd like to deal with the second case study. Wayne and Rachel are married, 78 years of age, and they have three adult children as follows. Cindy has a learning disability and is unable to work. She is currently in a group home and in enjoying it. Wayne and Rachel must pay about $1,500 a month for her care, net of the government subsidies, and Cindy is currently 54 years of age. Okay. Joe, comma, their second son, is irresponsible with money. He earns an above-average income but spends more than he earns and has accumulated significant debts. He often asks family members for loans but generally never repays. Stephen, their third child, manages money God's way. Stephen is willing to be the executor of his mom and dad's estate and he's willing to be the trustee of the funds set aside for Cindy but Stephen does not want to be the trustee of any funds set aside for Joe because Joe is likely going to pester him often for money which could sour their relationship. Here's a few figures, and these are just sample numbers. If your figures aren't the same or if they're not as, as high, don't worry about it. It's the concept and the principles here that are really important. In this case, Wayne has a retirement income fund of about $350,000 and a home jointly owned with his wife, Rachel. The fair market value is about $650,000. And personally, they own some guaranteed investment cer certificates of about $200,000. So their total assets is about $1.2 million. Wayne receives a pension from his employer, but that will end after he and Rachel have both died. Wayne and Rachel's home has been their only personal principal residence since the day they purchased it. Their mortgage was paid off many years ago. Wayne and Rachel have an excellent understanding of God's word on finances. They have trained all of their children in terms of what the Bible says on finances, but unfortunately Joe would not listen. And Wayne and Rachel have managed money God's way for decades. They have no debt, they follow a budget, they give regularly to the Lord's work, and they have sufficient funds for retirement. Question, assuming that you were their financial advisor, what advice should you, would you give to Wayne and Rachel 
In terms of their priorities as it relates to their estate plan, provide a reference to scripture for each point. And um, I'll also talk about some projections. Also, if you can, do some projections as to how they should allocate their estate pursuant to their wills. And uh, give that some thought and prayer. Think about it. What should be their priorities? And what should they do? Now, I know you may not have time to do the projections, but what, what should be their priorities in terms of their will? Here's my suggested so solution. First, ensure that sufficient funds are available to meet the needs of Cindy. Remember, Cindy is the one who's disabled. She's unable to work. And um, we indicated in the case study that she needs about $1,500 a month um, to, to meet her needs, a net of government subsidies. So uh, times 12, that's about uh, $18,000 a year. And let's just assume that Cindy lives for another 30 years. Remember, she's 54, but let's assume she lives for another 30 years. So her care would cost roughly about $540,000. So as a result, Wayne and Rachel should probably include a clause in their will that instructs the executor to transfer the first $200,000 of Wayne or Rachel's um, RIF into a registered disability savings plan with the beneficiary where would be Cindy. Remember, that can be done tax-free, saves over $100,000 of tax on the terminal return. Now that means uh, Cindy still needs about another $340,000 and so the next thing I would suggest is that they allocate $340,000 um, under their will into a testamentary trust where Cindy is the beneficiary and Stephen is the trustee. Since Cindy is disabled, meeting her needs is, I believe, the first priority. 1 Timothy 5.8 says if someone doesn't provide for the needs of their own family, they're worse than an unbeliever. So meeting Cindy's needs because of her disability and unable to work, I think is the highest priority. Um, and I've assumed any income earned on the investments, I've done these calculations very simple, I've assumed any income earned on the investments will be offset by increased costs for, for Cindy. So uh, I've taken a conservative approach here. Um, the next thing I think that should be done is to assess the tax implications on death of the last to die between Wayne and Rachel. The transfer of $200,000 from their RIF directly into the RDSP, that's the Registered Disability Savings Plan, is likely going to save about $100,000 in tax. So that, that's a good thing to do. We know that's something they should do. Secondly, sell a home from which uh, no income taxes should, be, should arise because it's been their personal principal residence since the day they bought it. Number three, there will be no tax implications in respect to the GICs as there's no unrealized gains. Typically the fair market value of a GIC is equal to whatever the cost is. There may be some accrued interest that has to be reported, but there should be no deemed capital gains. There will, however, be a significant tax liability on the terminal return in respect to the fair market value of the retirement income fund as of the date of death in excess of the $200,000 transferred uh, to the registered disability savings plan. And uh, so that net amount right now based on the current value of their, their RAF is $350,000 less than $200,000 equals to about $150,000. This could result in a tax bill as high as about $75,000. So that's a significant tax bill. A simple solution here would be to instruct the executor in their will to give $150,000 to the Lord's work. This would eliminate the tax problem completely, eliminate the tax issue completely. And it's consistent with good stewardship because if you do the calculations, $150,000 over $1.2 million of their total assets is about 12.5% of their estate. So they're giving more than 10% to the Lord's work. And there's going to be rewards in heaven when they get there. In Matthew 16, uh, 27, Jesus said, When the Son of Man returns in his Father's glory with his angels, he will reward each person according to what he has done. Again, that's Matthew 16, 27. Number six, the remaining funds, which is uh, $650,000 from the home, $200,000 from the investments, that's the GICs, 
Less than $340,000 that's allocated to the testamentary trust for the benefit of Cindy, that would leave $510,000 for Joe and Stephen. Now this is where Wayne and Rachel really need to pray and discern God's will. Um, they really need to discern what God wants them to do. Remember in Luke 22:42, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. And they need to pray and ask God to direct them. In Psalms 25, 12 it says, Who then is the man who fears the Lord? God will instruct him in the way chosen for him. So they need to pray and to discern God's will regarding how much they should allocate to Joe, the bad money manager, and how much they should allocate to Stephen in, in rewarding him for his biblical money management. Remember, in the, in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, uh, God did not allocate the same amount to each servant, and he actually rewarded those servants who were faithful. And the one servant that was unfaithful, they even took away what they have. Now, I'm not suggesting that they exclude Joe completely from their will, but I think it's, it's biblical, and we'll, we talked about that in a previous session. We'll talk about it again. It is actually biblical for mom and dad to consider allocating a a larger amount to, to Stephen for his biblical money management and a lesser amount to Joe. Obviously, they have to pray and discern what God wants them to do. And the final allocation is really between them as the Lord. Cindy, the disabled one, her needs have been met and provided for. That's consistent with 1 Timothy 5.8. Secondly, God's work gets more than the 10%, and Wayne and Rachel will be blessed in heaven. Remember in Acts 20.35, 20, Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And remember, your, your will is your last act of stewardship. It's so important. Your will is the document that's going to determine your final stewardship decision as to where the assets go after you've left this earth. And as Paul said, we brought nothing into this world. We shall take nothing out of it. So it's, it's your last act of stewardship. It's your final decision. And it's so important. Most people don't really um, give a lot of consideration as to how... And, and prayerful consideration and reading God's word as to how they should allocate their assets pursuant to your, their will, but it's so important. Number three, in this case, with the tax planning I've done here, the government gets nothing, and that's good stewardship. <laughs> Number four, because the parents love Joe, they will still give him something, but the, with the purchase of the annuity, it will protect Joe from squandering all the money quickly, and the use of the annuity removes stress from Stephen um, and because if you tried to use the trust, uh, set up a trust for Joe and have Stephen as the trustee, the odds are that uh, Joe, the bad money manager, is going to be hounding Stephen often for, for money. So it, it relieves Stephen of that stress. He can just purchase the charitable gift annuity and Joe gets his monthly payment for the rest of his life. And finally, number five, Stephen, the godly money manager, would be rewarded for his biblical stewardship of the money that uh, he's... Uh, that he, he basically faithfully managed. And again, this is consistent with uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. So here's a summary of this session. First of all, there can be major tax implications when someone dies under Canadian law. Very big tax implications. So as good steward of God's resources, you need to assess the potential tax liabilities and do some estate tax planning long before you die and include it in a, in a proper will. Include it in a will. Um, and also, once you've made that decision, be sure to put together a memo and go see a lawyer and get the lawyer, a proper, uh, an ex experienced lawyer to put it into a, into a will. Secondly, if you're appointed as the executor under someone's will, do not accept the position until you've assessed the finances of the estate because if the debts are greater than the assets, it's going to create problems for you. If there's big tax liabilities, you're going to be personally liable for it. So you can help out with some things, help out with the funeral, but make it clear to everyone that you're, you haven't accepted the position of executor, even though you've been appointed as executor, because you want to see what, 
what you're getting into. And thirdly, using trusts or annuities for those who mismanage money or those, those who are disabled. So I'd encourage you to just follow up um, and uh, to pray. Study what God's Word says with respect to estate planning and um, discern what God wants you and you're supposed to do if you're married with respect to your, your final stewardship decision, which is your will.